here we go. Cocaine Willie, another live show, another podcast for the people. My boy Nick is in here. My boy Matt. We're talking the Mizzou Tigers. And we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about them South Dakota Yotes week one. How we panned out. How you think the game went? 34 to nothing. Elite rushing yards. Questionable passing yards. We're going to talk about it. Hopefully we get some Mizzou Tigers in here. If not, we'll talk about them behind their back. Because that's what we do here at Cocaine Willie. Matt. What's up? My friend, the bush lights are flowing. I know it for sure. It's been confirmed. It's been confirmed. I got two here, and we'll see how the night takes us. Give unemployed this week. Oh, my gosh. I love that. For you and for me, because I'm going to be at the bill with my boy Nick, who's also here. But I want to know about the South Dakota Yoke game. Last time we talked about the depth chart, it was all just basically make-believe. We were just kind of predicting, forecasting. We didn't know shit, but now we know. This was game one. What happened? Tell me what happened. Man, I mean, first off, I have to say it was great to get back into the bill. Um, I know somebody who I haven't lived in Kansas all my life. Um, I moved away after college, went to Texas. You know, I wasn't close to the cats. You know, it, it was just one of those feelings to get back into the bill. Um, even for, you know, South Dakota, that was just amazing. Um, you know, the game itself was, exciting in the beginning and then you get through it and you're like, okay, I wish I saw a little bit more out of this. I wish I uh, saw a little bit more out of that. And I left the game just thinking, well, a win's a win. We're 1-0. Defense played great. Offense was good in some points, but but left, left what is our ceiling this year and what is our floor? Um, I think obviously rushing the football, you know, Deuce, you know, had a great game, um, you know, and Adrian had, I think it was 18 rushes, 50 something yards. Um, but the running attack did its job, you know, thinking about a team where we were up 14, nothing middle of the first quarter, the rushing game did what we needed to do. Um, I expected more from the passing game only because of my excitement and, being in a situation where, you know, I wanted to see just our receivers get a little bit more action. But at the end of the day, you know, I was thinking about it after rewatching the game um, yesterday. At the end of the day, we didn't have to show anything from the passing game. That's probably going to be really good for us from a play calling perspective moving forward. So, uh, you know, it wins a win, right, Chef? Like, at the end of the day, we want to know. Absolutely. A win's a win, and when you have those FCS teams, you don't play around with them. You take care of them. You do what you got to do. This is a weird – I'm going to say this is a weird predicament that we're in because 
since the climate era has been here, it's been FCS or Division One Power Five opponent week one. And we had the first year under climbing, we had to go on the road to Mississippi State. I think that was our second week or was that our third week? It was our second week. It was right. So this is very similar to that situation where you have a FCS opponent, you take care of business, then you bring out the big guns for the Power 5 SEC opponent in week two. And you talked offensively, and I think you basically summed it up perfect. There was some drops. It was vanilla. We did what we had to do. And you talked about it at the beginning. You weren't you haven't been around for a lot of games, neither have I. But you know what you were there for? A sellout. Yeah. A huge sellout. And we'll get to the defense for the South Dakota game here in a second. But I wanna know what was the atmosphere like for a sellout. I know probably at halftime it kind of dwindled, but obviously everybody knows that's seen the game. 75 yards on the first fucking play. Please tell me what that environment was like. Oh, I mean, it was awesome. Um, you know, at the end of the day, first, you know, as you said, first play of the game, um, you have a stadium that is just, I mean, everybody has a feeling of what this team can be this year, right? Like a lot of people think this team can win the big 12 and you have guys on offense who are coming in, Adrian Martinez, you know, you, you have these names that we have almost these set expectations of what they're going to do. And you don't even, you don't expect that even on the first play. And so, you know, the stadium erupted, um, you know, one of the, it was exciting to see that happen from Malik Knowles too, because the momentum that he needs to be, he needs to be really good for us this year and plays like that are going to get, get him to that, get him to that level. Um, I, I will say, and I mean, we were up whatever at the half, you know, second half, everybody leaves. I mean, I understand um, it is what it is. I have my own opinions on that whole deal, but um, the, the first quarter, first half was a textbook K-State game being there and just kind of soaking it all in goosebumps. I mean, it, it was awesome. I was really, uh, I, I was really glad to see we had such a great crowd um, for the first game. That's that is electric, and that's what you want to see, especially for a rivalry game. I guess you can call it a rivalry. It's a big eight rival coming into town week two, and to have that crowd, if that's a four quarter crowd like you had at the beginning of the South Dakota game that that's a crowd that can't be matched because it, it might be 50,000 and the sec and the big 10, they can pump out the numbers saying a hundred thousand, 90,000. But when you have Bill Snyder family stadium rocking, a lot of coaches, a lot of players will tell you that that is one of the top venues to be at and to have to go against it's, it's hard, but that helps the defense and I want to talk about the defense for the South Dakota game. We pitched a shutout. You can't ask the defense to do any more than that. The The starters were out basically by the midway of the third quarter. 
it was what you wrote up for the defense. They were aggressive. They were tackling in the backfield. There were some running lanes. There were some open receivers, but it's the first game. You're going to have those missed assignments. You're going to have those, but you can clean those up. Those are all not even technical things. It's just easy things to clean up. And when you bring the energy that Bill Snyder family stayed in, it makes the defense better. I would love for anybody to come and tell me what happened. Tell me who was your player of the game and who do you think performed the best? Defensively, there were a couple key players I was really eyeing to see just how involved they were in the game. Austin Moore was one of those at the beginning prior to the game. He's been talked about in the preseason as a guy who really, you know, getting a starting opportunity, he has to help do screen and in that linebacker position and just be effective, be a body um, and, and, you know, be strong when trying to get these tackles. He had five total tackles, um, you know, so he was the, the leading tackler on the team uh, for the game. So I, I think there, there isn't any other way to say it, you know, that's a good game, you know, a good first game to get him involved, you know, a couple other guys defensively, you know, and again, thinking about just holistically, you know, we gave up, I think it was 270 yards um, of offense. So that's a pretty good, you know, day, all things considering not giving up a point. And then you have in the second half, your starter sitting, um, you know, 270 yards offense is, is a really good game um, from a defensive perspective. Um, but, you know, thinking about Kobe Savage, you know, everybody's been talking about him. You know, he was effective on the field and, and being a presence, and that's huge from the safety position. Um, and then the interior linemen, you know, seeing Eli Huggins, um, you know, getting some time out there um, and Felix uh, on the end. <sighs> You know, the defense, they made plays. Now they didn't – I don't think we had – they had a turnover. I'm prefacing with the game, you know, I, I'm trying to remember. Who didn't, who didn't have a turnover? I want to know. We had one turnover. Right. right? We, got a, we got an interception. Since they're Mason. But you're talking about the D-line. No, no, no. I was talking to general. I forgot that uh, Sincere got that. Anyway. Yeah, it, Sorry. Uh, no, that's my bad. But anyway, so, you know, from a defensive perspective, I think the, the key thing for me was just are these guys moving quick on the field? Are they getting tackles, not, you know, having any missed tackles? Um, and so I thought it was just overall a strong game, all things considered. We didn't have a baseline of what we were expecting, um, knowing that the ceiling of this this defense can be elite, you know, against the top defenses in the Big 12. Exactly. And you said it perfectly. We were we were playing a game that was just balanced. We were aggressive when we needed to be. We pre- we pressed when we needed to. We dropped back when we needed to. Ace, my guy, an Aggieville alley cat. It's one of one of the podcasts that this podcast looks up to. I want to know what you think about the defense. And, and if you want to touch on the offense, you can, too, because I know you you weren't up here yet. But I want to hear what you've got to say about the South Dakota game. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're any anybody you should look up to. But for for defense, just it, for MVPs, it's really pick your favorite stat. If your favorite stat is tackles, you're going with Austin Moore. If your favorite stat is tackles for loss, it's King Felix. If your favorite stat is 
interceptions, it's Sincere Mason. If your favorite stat is swag, it's definitely Kobe Savage. But it's the point that I'm trying to make here is that the entirety of the defense really did have a really great day. There wasn't a single cog on the defense that I think was was running out of time with the rest of them. And it that's the most important part of any defense is you can have all the great individual players that you'd like, but it's really how that unit comes together and how it gels. Of course, it helps if you have some of the most nutty athletes in the nation or you have a ridiculously talented player. But what matters is how those players all interact with each other. And that's something that I've really noticed is that this team, just from the first game, from how they've matured from the Texas Bowl last year to the first game against South Dakota, you can tell that they're they're getting even more comfortable with the scheme. I saw them running stunts with the defensive line. That's how Brendan Mott got his tackle when a D. Hence was doing a, a an end over play, and just watching that happen when. Last year, I think we were still in that learning process where we weren't comfortable enough to do that. And now that we have that alongside other blitz packages, like just the flexibility that you get from having multiple people on the line and the linebackers who can blitz, just watching all of that come together in what I know was a very, like a pretty standard game plan, a pretty, it's not as vanilla as the offense, which I, I said it on the show. It was a piece of white bread with, a, you know, a piece of untoasted white bread with vanilla ice cream on top of it. But just watching this defense gave me a whole hell of a lot of hope because of how they've matured in the scheme. And that was the, the biggest concern was how they played in the scheme last year. And now it's less so. I, um, I love that because I think at the end of the day, and you think about the opponent that we're playing that's the overall goal, right? You want to come out of the game thinking, wow, the defense cohesively is a unit that is strong. In the big games, thinking, you know, when we get to this week or Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, top teams in the Big 12, it's taking that cohesive defense and there's going to be one or two players that are going to have to stand out in that defense to win games, whether it's Felix or, um, you know, do screen, you know, how are our cornerbacks going to do against some of the top receivers in the Big 12? For the big games, we're going to need, you know, individual players to shine. But in a game like this, it was super important to have a unit that did come together. So I thought that was a great point you made. Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, and think about it this way. We had a great game plan defensively. We we brought broke some things out that we hadn't seen, especially if you rewind all the way back to the Stanford game, it's a total 180, totally engraved into our the system now with the 3-3-5. They crack some things out, blitzing linebackers. Khalid Duke looked good out there. And, to, and this is what I want to get uh, hammered home. We weren't fully healthy. Josh Hayes, one of the darlings of the fall camp and spring season, Sean Robinson, an elite athlete who was going to be the starting Sam linebacker, TJ Smith, a veteran safety. And because we didn't have TJ and we didn't have Hayes, we had a start of VJ Payne, a true freshman in the back, the back end. We, we didn't see everybody in 
the full cohesion of this defense isn't even out yet. And we saw a shutout in the first game. And that brings me to probably the saddest point. The injuries are here. I mean, it's it's what's happening. Uh, we don't know if Hayes is going to be available. I think he will be, but I haven't got an update on that since uh, yesterday. Sean Robinson probably out. And swinging it back to the offense, you lose Taylor Portier. It's it's heartbreaking. I don't know if we obviously know it's an ACL. He's out for the season, but you, you don't know if he's even going to continue football. If it's the same knee rehabbing, nobody wants him to have to go through that. And I wouldn't blame him, but he was an awesome talent for K-State. We didn't get to see it fulfilled, but Hadley Panzer is going to come in, sub in for him. It eliminates our O-line depth a little bit, but the injuries are starting to pop up. But we're also going to get pieces back. I want you guys to talk a little bit about the impact that Taylor Portier injury has and some of the defensive players that we're going to expect to get back soon. Uh, I'll start first with, with Taylor and, um, I went to the K-State, uh, they had an event at Sporting Park, um, I think it was July or August, uh, with the Catbacker group here in Kansas City and, and Taylor was there and I remember, you know, he was just so excited about this season. I mean, he knew what the offensive line was going to be coming together, um, so it really pains me to see that happen specific I mean you don't want to see it to anybody but for for somebody like him who was just so excited to be on the field um you know it's it's a huge loss in that area um you know Hadley Panzer coming in the kid from Lakin uh you know he's gonna have to he's gonna have to show up right I mean at the end of the day um you know he's gonna have to really you know, put it together uh, against a Mizzou defensive line that has the potential to really get some pressure on the quarterback. Um, I'm thinking he can do it. Uh, he can come in and really, you know, be a, a good replacement. You know, on the other side of the uh, other side of the field with some of those defensive injuries, you know, I really wanted to see Sean Robinson hopefully come back this week, obviously against his former team. Um, you know, if Josh Hayes is able to come in and, and, you know, start at the free safety position. That's a huge win for us. Um, but yeah, you know, as you said, and I, I feel like two or three weeks ago, um, you know, this topic came up, I don't know if it was on this podcast or, you know, another one of to, to really have an elite season, you have to sometimes get lucky with the injury bug, right? Like you have to make sure that your key players are, are playing throughout the season. And the hope is, if we can knock out a few of these games, we beat Missouri, we're able to beat Tulane, and we can get some guys back on the field, albeit probably not Taylor Portier, but, you know, we get some of these other defensive guys back on the field, the what we're gaining right now and just getting these younger guys experience, that's going to be that depth when we hit Big 12 play. That is, is going to be huge when we're able to make defensive substitutions, you know, in key situations to get fresher legs on the field, you know, so – if we're able to get some guys back this week, that's great. Hopefully it doesn't affect the outcome of the Mizzou game. I um, mean, we can go into Tulane and, you know, most importantly, we don't, we don't want to lose any, any more players, right? We want to continue, you know, to try and become a little bit more healthier and healthier every week. So. And I, I want Ace to get in on this because he's 
really the analytic guy that I look look to, and he he brings out great things for the Aggieville Alley Cats. Taylor Portier goes down. Hadley Panzer goes in. It's basically been hammered this whole – I mean, since Coach Riley's been here that we want an eight, nine-man rotation on the offensive line. Now you're down on O-lineman. An experienced – well, not necessarily experienced, but a talented O-lineman, a starting O-lineman. What does this do for that rotation? And then you can you can get into the other injuries and other returning players too. I want to hear about this O-line though. <laughs> Everyone always wants to hear about the hog mollies. I do. I do. I love the O-line. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The loss of Taylor Poitier is is a really really big one. And it's not just because he has the nicest number on the field, number 69, but nice. he – nice. But I – the worst part about it to me is, like you said, is how it disrupts the rotation. Because I recognize that Hadley Panzer is a downgrade from Taylor Poitier, but Hadley Panzer isn't bad. He's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. He's a starting – He's a starting guard. To me, he's the same thing that Ben Adler was last year, which is a quality starting guard in the Big 12. But like you said, the worst part is how it's going to disrupt the rotation. Because now the next man up, if you look at the roster, we saw a lot of people getting snaps last week. We saw uh, people like Dawson Del Forge get snaps at left guard. You had Carver Willis get a few snaps at right tackle. But none of those guys are as proven you have true freshman I think he's a true freshman or he's a younger kid from from Mill Valley Sam Hecht who's really strong but still really raw of course you have Andrew Lane gang so really the only proven commodity that we have outside of Hadley Panzer in that rotation is well it really is just Carver Willis and he's been a career two-line guy so I am I'm confident that Hadley Panzer will do well. In fact, if you're if you go by PFF grades, he was actually better than Poitier last week. But you know sometimes the eye test disagrees with uh, the analytics. But yeah, to to me it's just unproven depth. And but I do have faith in Connor Riley to coach these guys up to be ready. And I think the biggest tragedy outside of Poitier is Sean Robinson getting robbed of his revenge game because I kind of understand him to an extent because, you know, not obviously the exact same extent, but I grew up an MU fan. I've I've never made a secret about this, but I really want K-State to win. It's kind of like a revenge game for me too. So watching someone that I would have that sort of connection to not be able to play, it really sucks. Plus, alongside, he's a really good player that I feel like would really help against the scheme that MU wants to run. Yeah, I mean, the depth is is going to be pushed. Carver Willis, I mean, he had a weird offseason, a weird end of the last season. I mean, he was a 300-pound guy, and then he dropped down to into the 260s, and now they got him listed at 288. Obviously, he's recovering back from something. Andrew Lyngang can play the left tackle, left guard, right guard. He could play all, but you don't want those guys stretched too thin. 
Hayes, are you in here, my guy? Yes, sir, Chef. Can you tell me – were you in the game? Were you at the game? Absolutely. Obviously, you weren't in the game, but you were at the game. What, yeah. I want to hear I want to hear everybody's – before we press on into MU, I want to hear your thoughts on what the the atmosphere was like for the South Dakota game, especially that first half, and, and just give me your rundown of what you think South Dakota game meant for this team. So admittedly I missed I missed Cocaine Willie up until about thirty seconds ago. But um so if I repeat anyone I'm sorry. Well, that's what but, I want I want to hear I want to hear it. I want to hear everything again. Give it to me obviously, again. Obviously winning thirty four to nothing is always promising. Um I wouldn't say that the game as a whole really gave me much positive hope. Uh, the passing game was extremely disappointing, and um, I'm trying to convince myself that it was a vanilla-type thing, but I feel like watching the game kind of showed that there were open receivers left and right, and Adrian was really holding back, which I don't really blame him. I know that a pick on the first game after his history would be about the worst possible thing, but... I didn't feel incredible about it. I loved how the defense played. I love the running game, obviously, but I am admittedly a little concerned about the passing game, not for this weekend, but for the season as a whole after that. And that's perfect. It was awesome. That's, that's perfectly okay. Hayes, you know, that makes sense because I mean, when you got your starting quarterback and he throws for barely 60 yards, in a FCS game, it, it does bring the bells and rings the bells and makes you think, what what are we missing here? But I think there are positive things that we could look at. You're absolutely right. We need to fix some things, and this MU game is going to be the test. So let's jump right into that. I want to know, we were supposed to have an MU podcast here. They didn't show up. That's fine. We're going to talk shit behind their backs. They're, they're frauds, and they didn't even know Luther Burden played in the spring game. So let's let's get offense versus their defense. I think their running, their running defense showed up versus Law Tech. I think they gave up 11 yards rushing, which, I mean, if you, if you dig into Law Tech's scheme – it's really nothing to be impressed by. I think it was the offensive coordinator for TCU a couple years ago uh, that is running the show at TCU and he, I mean, at La Tech, and he wants to throw the ball. That's what he does. So I'm not too shocked that they stopped the run versus La Tech, but they're going to have they they've got athletes up front. They have an Oklahoma State transfer, Jernigan. He's he impressed me. Uh, their linebacker at the second level, I think it's Hopper. He is an absolute freak of nature. And that in that in, but in the back end is where they're really the weakest. So I want to hear what you guys think of what the K-State offense is going to do to this MU Tiger defense. I'll, let's go, let's go with Matt first, Matt, my guy. So, Mizzou gave up 336 yards passing last week. And if you think about K-State, our obvious, our 
huge strength is the running game. So this is going to have to be the game where Adrian Martinez does show out and, and make plays using his arm. Um, it's evident that Missouri has some gaps in the secondary that can enable us to make some plays. Um, Louisiana Tech averaged seven yards an attempt, 12 yards of completion last week. So that provides a little bit of hope that we take this past game, which again was meh with the passing game, and we have the capability to get guys, you know, involved thinking like Sammy Wheeler in the middle of the field. Um, you know, given there's opportunities there in the passing game, you know, the running game is going to be really interesting to watch because, you know, as you said, yeah, so they gave up eight net rushing yards in the game to Louisiana Tech. Um, even if you have an air raid offense thinking like how Mike Leach or anybody, you know, most teams are going to average more than eight yards, you would assume, uh, or get a total. Um, so that's where you look at Mizzou's defense from last year and going into this year, you know, what is the what's the floor with Louisiana Tech? Are they a team that's going to be, you know, two and ten this year? Or, you know, when we're coming in, we have such a strong offensive rushing game. I you you have to think we're gonna we're gonna do a lot better than that. Um, I think our offense does have an advantage over their defense as long as we take advantage of opportunities in their defense to get big plays going. Um, you know, if we can come out there and we average 10 yards of completion on the passing game, I think that's a win, a huge win for us. Um, Cause we haven't necessarily seen that in a K-State offense in a while. So um, th- those are kind of my thoughts, you know, their defense, just looking at some of the highlights, their defense has some, has some dudes. I mean, um, especially on the line in the linebacker um, in the, uh, from a linebacker um, position. So, it, you know, it's going to be really interesting to watch that duel. Ace. Tell me I was wrong when I'm seeing 60-yard bombs over the top, 30-yard pop shots from, a, let's, let's be honest, a below-average quarterback at La Tech. What, what was I missing? Is, is their secondary really the biggest weak point for MU's defense, or am I, am I missing something? No, no, you're right. Their secondary is pretty trash. It's um, – it, actually, it's not trash. It's just not particularly great. The The biggest thing that I would say is that resulted in their big play was just them not being assignment sound. So the, the first example that I think of is technically on a trade-off that should have happened between a linebacker and a safety where there was a little pocket shot to a tight end of, of a scrambling play. That, that shit just kind of happens sometimes. But the 60-yard, I think it was a 65- or 70-yard touchdown that was off of a slant route, that actually comes off of their slot defender, who I believe was Marquez Manuel in that case. Uh, He didn't quite know what he was doing when he rolled down into that little hook zone. So the slot receiver was pretty easily able to get behind him. And then 65 yards later, there are a lot of upset MU fans. But... You're absolutely right in saying that the secondary is a place that we can exploit. And with how much they rotate their safeties into, basically, they'll start in a two-high shell and then work to a single-high shell, which basically means they run a lot of of cover three. 
there's going to be a lot of one-on-ones to the outside that K-State can probably take advantage of because Malik Knowles is bigger and probably stronger than both of their corners. Phillip Brooks has better know-how and how to manipulate them, and Cade Warner can probably just body most of them because he's stronger than them. So the secondary is definitely a weakness. So I would honestly look for an outside passing game if K-State is to throw around the ball a little bit. Is that Martez Manuel kid, is that the kid that transferred from Clemson? Or am I mixing? I think that's a different guy, but I could be wrong. Because he last year, he, he was last year, he had a, yeah, no, he's been at Missouri all his life. I think you're thinking of Ennis Rakestraw. I, I listened to him in the po- the pregame uh, for MU after Drinkowitz, and he he really showed up as a speedster for their, their defense. I'm looking for him in the secondary to kind of rally the troops for them. If they're going to fill those holes that leaving receivers down. And I'm expecting similar to what Matt said, Sammy Wheeler to find the middle in between those safeties and those linebackers that they have. Hayes, do you think we're going to be able to, stretch the ball and similar to those plays that we had with Hayden Gillum pulling and getting out on the edge, or is it more, or are we going to have to run it straight up the middle behind Cooper BB? I can't say that I'm smart enough to answer that question. I know that Mizzou's D line is the strength of their team. And so really the passing game is going to be on full effect this weekend, but I think we'll be just fine getting the ball to Deuce at any point. And um, I just really hope that the passing game can get going this weekend and show what it's made of. Um, I think there's going to be a defensive battle all around. Uh, I absolutely am in love with the under. Um, but, yeah, that's about all I got. That I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, their defense interior is is kind of scary. I mean, I, I brought up Jernigan and he was he's a little bit undersized. He kind of reminds me of our Robert Hintz, uh, where he's like a, a quick defensive tackle, and he gets penetration. He's seen us when he was at Oklahoma State this past season. But let's let's switch over. Actually, let's stay right there because I I think Adrian needs to get his credit. I mean he he was picking his shots and he was scrambling. Is scrambling gonna be you, you brought it up a little bit ago, Ace, where there was some miscommunication on the scrambles. Is that what we're going to see? Do we do we need Adrian in the pocket or do we need him outside of the pocket? Man, I think ultimately if we're if we if we end, end up winning this game by, I don't know, 17 or 21, which I, I don't I'm not seeing that, but. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit of a mix of both. He's going to be in the pocket. He's going to get six, eight seconds. That's maybe five to seven seconds of time going through his progressions and, and finding the open man. You know, that's the thing with, you know, looking back at some of his passes this weekend, he had time to pass the ball and he was going through his progressions really well. And as he practices more and more and more and gets more game experience, that's he's going to he he knows where to go with the football. I do think this weekend, this past weekend, 
you know, there were opportunities where he could have scrambled and been a little bit more of aggressive, but then you have to remember it's the first game of the year and, you know, he's had a little bit of injury trouble in the past. He's just being, you know, he's managing the game, managing the game effectively. So, you know, if we win this game, you know, by a good margin, I think it's going to be, we have a really good mix of him getting the time he needs, but then in those moments where pocket collapses, he makes the right read and the right play scrambles effectively gets a first down, you know, make makes defenders miss that's that's peak Adrian Martinez. Well, we we want to be elite. We need him to do that every single game. I think that's that's huge for us this week if he can do that. And I think you're absolutely correct because I don't give a shit what Adrian's doing. If he if we're winning comfortably and that's him facilitating Deuce and getting pop shots to Malik Knowles and letting them letting the crib god take advantage of his speed and letting them do the work. I don't care what what Adrian Martinez is doing as long as we're winning because that's really the name of the game. But let's switch over because we have a, a defense that's averaging zero points allowed. They scored 52. I mean, it was it was in, a lot of it was in garbage time. They were struggling at half, but they have a quarterback that can run. They have a stable of running backs. One's a transfer from Stanford who we saw last year wasn't really impressed with them but if you listen to any MU podcast they are clamoring for this Pete kid to be the starting running back do you guys did you guys see anything on film from their offense we'll we'll get to the obvious one but anything on their offense that is giving you any concern let's let's go with ace yeah i to, to start off on Nathaniel Pete, I understand why they want him to be the starting running back because he's probably their best one. But, and, and, uh, yeah, but outside of that, the main thing that worries me is oddly enough, their usage of motion. I was actually thinking about this after last night. It's that how are we going to handle trade offs in whenever they motion? Because they motion, as I tracked, about 35% of the time. So if they're going to motion, say, Luther Burden, he's going to be a freak athlete. How are we going to handle motioning? How are we going to handle tracking him? Are we going to just kind of let him be and slightly adjust our zones? Are we going to have a safety kick down and try to cover him? Or are we just going to have someone basically duct tape to Luther Burden the entire time? But outside of that, I also don't think Eli Drinkwitz is that smart to actually call plays off of those motions. So, you know, even though a blind squirrel gets a nut eventually, it's it's not something I'm concerned about, but rather something I'm watching. I'll tell you what, I'm pretty damn concerned because you mentioned him. We didn't even get we didn't even get halfway through anybody else mentioning the players that they're concerned about till we got to the guy. He's the true freshman. He was the number one wide receiver in the class last year in all of the nation. He's five foot 11, 215 pounds. Luther Burton is a problem and he plays primarily in the slot. He he goes back into wildcat every once in a while, but he really didn't do anything receiving other than catching little pop passes, but he makes you miss. And it worries me because 
who's the guy that really controls the slot is that our slant Sam linebacker last year was Reggie Stubblefield and he was really good in the passing. And now we have Khalid Duke, especially if Sam Robinson does. I mean, if Robinson doesn't come back for this week, we're going to have Khalid Duke still, uh, still working on his conditioning and he has a knee brace on. So I don't, that really concerns me is with Luther burden being the playmaker that he is, Matt, Please tell me we're going to be able to put a spy on him because Ace doesn't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. What would you do? Well, first off, if I was Mizzou, I'd be trying to use him pretty frequently in the run game and, you know, getting him into slot situations. I mean, he is he has he's going to be a guy that I'm interested to see as he grows into the role, you know, and being in Kansas city and you hear about Mizzou football all the time, you know, when he gets a a year or two of college football under his belt, is he a guy that's going to be like an NFL type guy? You know, I think he has some of those characteristics, you know, watching some of the, you know, the few highlights he had. So, um, you know, he ran the ball three times, he had three, three rushing attempts for 26 yards, but, um, our defense, I, I, we are going to have to have a guy on him. And, you know, as they do, you know, as they said, they do a lot of motion, you know, pre-snap, pre-snap movements. Um, you know, they're doing that, obviously, to try and get the defense off their toes. And so, you know, thankfully we have really strong, um, you know, from a year perspective, you know, older guys that, you know, they have football smarts. They have football knowledge. They know, you know, if they get this you know, task of having to, you know, cover Luther Burden on the field, you know, they're not going to get caught by, by anything outside of their peripheral. They got to be paying attention to this guy. Um, I, you know, my biggest worry for, for this game is how well Missouri ran the football last week. Um, you know, they, they had 335 yards rushing. I mean, through, you know, it's 323. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of rushing yards for even though it's Louisiana Tech, you know, that's that's a, a really hefty chunk of yards that um, you if a team does that, they're they're just ramping through the defensive line and getting you know opportunities on the outside and, and using speed. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to see, you know, can we contain rushing and get Brady Cook, their quarterback? you know, in the situation where he has to make decisions throwing the football. Because if our secondary is as elite as we think they they are, you know, Brady Cook, we need him to be making some big mistakes because of how our secondary is covering. Um, and if we're able to do that, you know, I, I truly believe, you know, we'll have a really good chance to win this. But um, I'm worried about the rushing attack. Uh, you know, I, it's, it, it's worrisome to see that on – um, you know, the final stats, you know, no matter who you play. I mean, that's a really, really big number. Will, you have the stats. You know everything. You just cracked open a Manhattan Brewing Company IPA. Will, can you tell me what we're going to do? What are, do you see any other players other than Luther Burden that will cause us issues? Their O-line, is 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 that a problem? Well, actually, hey, I actually just grabbed it, so... You heard that right there. That's the beer. That's fresh. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm honestly not too worried about it because all starts up front. 
And just with the issues they've been having with the snap count repeatedly, um, I have a hard time seeing them really do much against us. That seems to be a huge problem for them. So I'm not sure how they're going to address that um, off the bat. Um, and then also, you know, I've got some advanced stats, but honestly, so I live in Kansas City, Missouri. So um, it's kind of a black hole for Mizzou coverage. No one really knows anything about them here. So I don't really have a whole lot of insight into them, unfortunately. Uh, I just found out that it, we weren't playing UMKC this week. It was actually MU, uh, UM Columbia. So I'm catching up and getting a little up to speed. So I won't be useful for much except for probably just a little shit talking. And that's what we need because they – do they deserve our respect? I'm not sure because they were trash last year. They got a dub. They're pretty happy about it. But if you listen to their podcast, they any podcast from M's, from Mizzou, they're not happy with the dub. They 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 got a lot of holes. They think. And you brought up the snap count issue. I saw that a little bit too. That was at home. They're going to the bill, a sold out bill, with fifty thousand strong. They're going to bring some fans, but how will they be able to manage that on the road? And that leads me to that. I don't have the exact stat right in front of me. I probably should because I'm hosting the podcast and I'm a bum for not having it, but they were terrible on the road. I mean, absolute God awful on the road. I think they only won one game on the road. Well, I think everyone knows everyone from Columbia clear the roads on Saturday. Um, There's probably only three of them coming, but yeah, they are terrible on the roads. So I wouldn't drive. If you see someone with a Columbia, um, county tag, whatever county that is. And then, yeah, on the snap count, I mean, once again, their inability to find someone that can count that high is is really hurting them in the games. Um, but, you know, passing through Kansas and Kansas City, they might find someone. So that's my main concern is that they might find someone off their campus that they can kind of cheat and put in a MU jersey, and maybe that's how they can try to beat us. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. So – we got a little bit of MU coverage. We have we haven't talked about our special teams. That's one thing we haven't talked about. Chris Tennant, struggle bus. He's struggling. How big of a leash does he have, Matt? Ace and then Hayes. I want to hear what you guys are giving the leash for Chris Tennant. Uh, this sucks because I didn't think we would be in a position after week one where we'd be having to have this type of question answered. Um, you know, missing a field goal and missing a PAT in the first game of the year is, is like, I feel like the worst for a kicker because it's automatically going to put questions no matter what. Um, at the end of the day, thinking about holistically what you expect this team to be, we will be in situations this year where we will need a kicker to make a really important field goal, extra point, whatever, in clutch time. And right now, I don't have that confidence that if we were in a position where we would need that, that we would get that. But again, it's the, it was the first game of the year. Maybe he's out there kicking 300 kicks you know, every day this past week to get ready for this game. Who knows? I mean, uh, that's maybe that's our hope. But you know, my, the confidence level's not there uh, based off of the performance last week. We we really need a confident kicker, though. And and if that's going to get us uh, some big 
wins this year, you know, we have to have him doing what he needs to be doing, which is making every PAT. And, you know, ultimately he's going to miss a field goal, you know, once in a while, but it can't be some chip shot 30, 35 yarder. Um, but the, the PATs are the, the, the killer. It kills the momentum. You know, you score a touchdown, you know, everybody gets excited and miss a, miss a PAT and deflates. And we can't have that. Just can't have it. It's really inexcusable for the PATs. It, it might come down to crunch time versus Mizzou. Might be a blowout. We don't know. But Ace, do you feel confident that Chris Tennant will turn it around? And also, I want to hear what you got to say about our our boy Ty Zetner because he was booming him out there, and it, it's going to be big punting and kicking. Give give me some give me something. I would say that Chris Tennant doesn't have the longest leash in the world, but to me, he gets he gets one. Depending on how close the game is, he gets one or two misses. And if he is not able to hit those, he probably ends up getting asked to, to take a seat and have Legatron do it. Now, I I love Legatron. I really do. But I I do have some concerns about him both punting and kicking. Not because I think at worst or like, I feel like the most likely scenario is that you're getting a lateral move from Chris Tennant to Ty Zentner. Because I'm not entirely sure that the guy who hasn't done any field goal kicking recently, at least, I know he did a little bit uh, back. Oh, shit. He did place kicking at some point. I think it was the COVID season. Yeah, I think think it was the COVID season, too. But but you also got to remember, he's doing kickoffs, too. That would be a trifecta. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, ugh, I am somewhat nervous about having Legatron pull the trifecta, but I really do think that Chris Tennant does put it together, if not just for my own sanity. But yeah, I, I'd say he gets a one or two miss leash. If if we move Ty Zentner to kicker, I think we're moving Bloomer to punter. It, Hayes, do you agree with that? I mean, we're we're a special teams pod here, especially if I'm running the show. God damn it, we're gonna talk special teams. Do you think Bloomer gets that shot at punter and let Legatron Ty Zentner kick them extra, them extra points? No, uh, I think if we have to put Ty at place kicking I think he's just going to take all the reins I mean he is the best punter there is a reason that Bloomer hasn't taken it yet um, it's obviously a different kicking motion but if Pat McAfee can do it Ty Zintner can do it so I think that Tenet has a longer leash like I'm not as concerned about it as most I'm hoping that maybe he just was dealing with some first game jitters and can work that out, um, and I think he'll be all right. But if not, I think it's Ty Zentner's job, and he's just going to be the ultimate kicking machine. Well, I fucking love that. I love the confidence. You you had me in the – in the first half, you were selling me on being pretty negative on a team, but now with the, with the special teams, you're backing us up. I'm loving that. 
Now let's get to let's get to some keys to victory. Let's just do two a piece. Let's wrap this thing up and then we'll get into that magic bowl swishing around for that random player. Um Nick, my God. Are you yes. ba- are you in here? Yes, I what? have been. I've just been listening. Give me some give me two ways to that K State is gonna win this game versus Mizzou. Um so I think that, like I said earlier, um, our our offense is going to flourish and blossom against Missouri. Um, Klein is going to do some tricks up his sleeve, and he's going to be the magician that he is. And I think that even we lost Portier, uh, the offensive line will do will just be sound and give Adrian time like always, and he's going to be able to throw those deep balls. So I think the offensive uh, game plan is going to be what we wanted it all last year. Um, And I think that it will um, just, we need the offense to click more and then um, defensively uh, just shut them out just light their ass up and, you know, shut them up. Just that's honestly what we all need to do. I fucking love that, dude. We're going to be so hyped at the game, me and you, but I want to hear Matt. Matt, what's your, what's your two takeaways to get this dub? Yeah. um, The first one will be me having at least three shots of fireball before the game. Um, Breakfast, breakfast fireball. Love that. Yeah, we went. My tailgate went through an entire fireball bucket last week, which is very impressive. Um, no, uh, I would say my uh, my first one will be defensively. I think we need to hold them to under 300 yards of total offense. Um, I I do think it's a little. Um, it'll be a little farcical to think that we're going to be able to to completely keep them from getting yards. Um, it's just going to be those big chunk plays, trying to maintain those. Um, if we can hold that offense to under 300 total yards, I would be very happy um, because I, I I do feel that we would that would put us in a good shot to win the game. My other one, um, I think the, our rushing game, despite Missouri doing a really good job against Louisiana Tech last week, um, I think our rushing game has to continue the mindset that they have to just get, you know, a ton of yards. We have to be doing a great job of getting Deuce Vaughn out there, getting Adrian some, some, some runs. Um, So I'm thinking over 250 yards rushing and uh, giving up less than 300 total yards on the defensive side. If we get those two, I would be happy. And I think we all would be happy in shotgunning beers in the parking lot after. I like that. Hayes, give me something. Give me reason to believe that K-State's going to get this dub. Give me two of them. I I think offensively, it's going to be thrown for 200 yards. I don't think that is too much to be out of the question. I think that is very much attainable, especially with the lack thereof of Mizzou's secondary. I understand that their pass rush is pretty all right. But I trust an RO line, and I think throwing for 150 to 200, hopefully plus, is going to be very valuable. 
And then it's going to be basically the same thing on defense, and it's just going to be limiting those receivers. I mean, they're going to get theirs, but if we can avoid the fades and the moss type stuff, um, I think we'll be just all right. I love that, dude. We're going to – we're getting the dub, man. Everybody's got me pumped as fuck ready for this game. Ace, just keep the train going. What are we doing to get this dub? We are finding every way to make Tyron Hopper wrong. We are going to scheme up a way that no matter what happens, he has to be put into conflict, and he has no choice but to be wrong every single play. That's the key in the passing game. And in the running game, it's honestly just just let the O-line eat because when they're going to – I have a feeling that we're going to try to force them – to go to a four-man front, and they'd really prefer to stay in a three-man or a, a hybrid front. They would really like to do that, but if we keep them on their on their toes with a four-down front, their defensive ends are really, really bad at force playing the run, so we can honestly just run outside on them all day. Deuce Vaughn's going to make the safety miss, and everything will be all great if that is what happens. I love all those answers. I'm keeping mental notes for those. And I'm also keeping mental notes on this. I'm going to give somebody something very sick when I'm at the game. If you guys can predict what Missouri's uniform concept will be. Will it be, obviously they're wearing white, but I want to know what, what helmet they're wearing, not specific, but just what color and what color pants give Rapid fire. Let's go. Nick, go. Uh, tiger head, white helmet, white jersey, and black pants. Ooh, Matt. Fudge. Uh, I'll go. Don't they have a block M now? They have a block M, and they usually wear it with the yellow helmet, just to let you know. Uh, <laughs> I'll go out there. I'll do block M, yellow helmet, black pants. Okay. <laughs> Hayes. Uh, don't they wear a black helmet with a block in? I've seen it. I've seen it definitely yellow. They definitely wore that for their spring game. So, I mean, if you if you know something, just let me know. I want to I want to give you something if you predict it right. I don't know anything about Mizzou's uniforms, but I'm going to say black helmet with a yellow block in. Mm, Ace. Tiger head, yellow helmet, black pants. Oof. This is going to – and it's it's a good-looking matchup. I mean, it's big eight rival. Let's put a bow on this thing. I think we're going to get the dub. I, I'm not asking anybody to put their score projections out there. I've already done it on the Bosco's Boys podcast. Um, we're I think we're all in consensus that we're going to get the win. So let's all just unmute real quick. Let's Let's just get some bros talking ball. I'm digging into my bowl of of random K-State players, and I pull out Cornelius Lucas. <laughs> I mean, he was an he was an elite offensive tackle. I mean, he had the funny you know funny uh, giveaway where he was putting that back leg farther back for passes and and putting them up further. But he was a Big Twelve champion. He. He he just did things. He was a monster human being, and he's still in the league. What what do you guys remember from Cornelius? 
God. Just a big old dude. Oh. Thinking like he was such a, I would have not necessarily guessed him that he would be a guy that would still be in the NFL. Um, that being said, him with that offensive line in 2012, I mean, he was first team all Big 12 in 2020 or 2012. And we had, we had such a great offensive line in 12. Um, and even in 13, I mean, he was a senior or whatever, but man, he was just such a, he was a dude, a dude. I mean, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, he was, who was he with? Was he with freaking Cody Whitehair on his inside, right? Left guard. Uh, was B, BJ Finney was with him. I mean, that old line was just elite, but I mean, he was, I mean, he's a prototypical left tackle. I mean, six, nine kid from Louisiana. I don't, when's the last time we even got a Louisiana kid recently? I don't remember the last Louisiana kid we got. Maybe Lance Robinson. No, Daniel Who? Put, put Daniel Sands, give him the respect. Oh, Daniel Sands, he was a Slidell kid. That boy was nasty, too. We don't have to get into that debate, Jake Waters or Daniel Sands, but I think it's kind of obvious we picked the right guy. So after re-watching the Ring of Honor video, um, inductees, and then hearing L talk about being on the scout team, and then him saying one of the two hardest hitters he ever faced was Mark Simino, that just – Music to my ears, hearing a small town kid from Smith Center, Kansas, being one of the hardest hitters in K State history, just absolute lights out. I mean, he was a stud too. I mean, he was probably on that juice though. Let's let's be honest, he was probably on that probably. juice. Probably he was a little juice. He was a little juicy. He was a little juicy. I mean, there was so many elite players, but that offensive line, 2011, 2012, with no, was he? He wasn't on that 2011 line. He was 2013 with that with that Buffalo Wild Wings bowl with uh, Jake Waters. But I mean, he had he was Colin Klein's blindside. I mean, that dude was a freak of nature, Cornelius Lucas. I mean, 2012 so, names: B.J. Finney. Who was on the right side? Was it Boston Stiverson wasn't, or was it Nick Putz? Oh, man. Nick Putz. Yeah, he was a senior. <laughs> Nick Putz. <laughs> well, he's like a Dakota kid. He was that, – that dude cracked me up. Number 50, an elite offensive line number, by the way. I love the 50s on offensive linemen. Yeah, uh, that was – Right tackle, who was that, Klein Sorgi, maybe? I don't remember who the right tackle. He was a fresh redshirt freshman that year. Cody Whitehair was a redshirt freshman. Yeah. Boston Stiverson, I think, was on that, that team. Tavon Rooks. Oh, Tavon. Oh, fuck. He played in the league, too. That yeah, was. He adapted. Wasn't he a seventh round pick or something? Yeah, for to the Saints. And he played for a little bit, too. Yeah. That was. That's wild, man. The freaking the guys that you don't expect to get drafted or I mean, I don't know how unique it is to to K-State, but the guys that get undrafted and make rosters. I mean, it's similar to this past year. I mean, Timmy Horn, I 
I mean, he's got all the physical features, but I mean, I just did not expect him to make a 53 man roster. And that's, yeah, I'm a, so I'm a Falcons fan. Um, and seeing him like in the preseason, I would see some of these highlights and I wasn't even thinking like, I don't know. I not, the Falcons are going to be like absolute shit this year, but you know, I, I wasn't necessarily thinking he was going to be a guy that was going to be a 53 man guy, but the Falcons need like a big dude in there. And he was, I mean, I think from a team like personality perspective, even though he's a rookie, he has, you know, if he's able to catch on with the team and get some time, I mean, I, I am actually really excited to see if he can stick with Atlanta. Um, you know, and yeah, he's a, he's a grown, he's a grown man. I think he was married, had kids when he was, while he was here at K state, I mean, he was, he's just a grown man and he's a true professional for real. I mean, talk to the media, I mean, perfectly. And I mean, if your job is to just, I mean, no pass rush, just bull rush and just take up two blockers and stuff that middle, Timmy Horn is the guy. Yeah. He's, what is he, like 6'5", 320? I mean, that dude was a freak and I'm, I'm, and it just makes you think, like, Eli Huggins, how good is freaking Eli Huggins if he was getting playing time over that? Yeah, you're absolutely. I mean, and, like, going back, you know, especially for an undrafted guy, you know, it's it it's huge. I mean, I, I can't imagine just, you know, going through the process, you know, going to – you know, a pro day and, and seeing if a team will draft you and then really taking a risk, you know, I, I'm just super happy for him. And not to say I'm going to get a Timmy Horn jersey by any means. <laughs> you, you sound like you're getting one. No, you know what? I've been thinking about, I, I mean, I'm not a Dolphins guy, but man, I kind of want to rock a Skylar Thompson jersey. Um, if he wasn't wearing a freaking ugly 19, I would get one. But God, yeah. 19 is just a gruesome, ugly number. Does he yeah. even have a choice on that? I mean, I I would hope so. Oh, Man, yeah. how many single? But with the new rules, with the NFL being able to wear like whatever number you want, the single digits probably got took up pretty quick. So I don't think he. You might be right, Nick. He, I don't. Choice. Yeah, I don't think he might have much of a choice. Nineteen might be his number, uh, which is unfortunate because he makes the fifty-three man roster as a third quarterback. That's very rare that that happens. So, I mean, I think he's pressing Teddy Bridgewater for playing time if Tua goes down, but 19 is gruesome to look at. It's hard for me to even be excited for him because it's that bad of a number. I would rather go 20 for QE. That would be – I. I like – you <laughs> know what I like? That. That's, a, that's a Mike Winchell friend. Yeah, Mike Winchell, right my guy. Mike Winchell, Odessa Permain. But you know what numbers I do like? I like when what was his name Devin Gardner for Michigan wore number ninety eight. Oh yeah, I really, really, <laughs> I really, really like that. That and was he, such a. That was, and he put up numbers too. Yeah, he was a good player and he wore ninety eight. I think that was that was really sick. I would I wouldn't mind seeing that again if K State were to do that. That would that's kind of what I would want to see. Just think of all the boomers. They would flip shit. Oh no. That no, that's very that would be boomer like that's right up a boomer's alley. They they love like back when the the quarterbacks 
ran the triple wing the option Ford and they wore pass. long sleeves. Yeah, the Ford Pass, number 98. I, I think 98 looks good. I think he wore 98 because, like, some super old dude that, like, ended up being an actor or something, like, uh, wore 98 and they honored him. I don't know. But, dude, I mean, hmm. we got see – how, see how the bowl of mystery K-State players just sparks conversation? Now we're just talking about random crazy shit, and I like it. Yeah. So, I mean, for everybody that uh, participated, Nick, my my guy, I'll see you this weekend. Matt, co-host of the Cocaine Willie show. Maybe next week we'll get our our leader, Bob Trollsby, in here. Hayes, I love seeing love hearing you up here. Ace, I hope you come back regularly. Bring Connor with you. I love you guys together and your stats and your statistics and your and your analytics with breakdowns of teams and our team i love hearing that but this is the cocaine willie show it's it's a lot of fun we're trying to get it a little bit situated and i think we're on the right path um so i'm gonna outro this thing it's been a lot of fun i'll see you guys at the game for the battle of the borders. I don't want to say the border war because they already have that with KU, but we're going to take this thing home. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs>